Okay, so I asked the question earlier, that favorite neighbor that came to mind, what quality made them a good neighbor? Would anybody like to share the quality that made your neighbor a good neighbor? Pastor Brian is going to go out and uh, uh, be our roving reporter just for a minute. Anybody want to share the quality that made your neighbor a good neighbor? You don't have to name them. All right, somebody's going to share. There we go. They were like family or treated us like family. They treated you like family. Okay. That's wonderful. All the way all the way across the room. I felt like I was always welcome. Felt like you were always welcome. 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 Absolutely. Always welcome. Open door. Anybody else? There's another one. Even though I was shy, they always welcomed me and they fed me. <laughs> good food. Good food makes good neighbors, right? All right. Anybody else? Greg. They were generous. The door was always open and they didn't put on airs. They were who they were. Okay. Generous. Doors always open. All right. Anybody else? Chris. Thank you. When we lived in Colorado, we uh, moved next door to an, a man, an elderly man, probably as old as we are now. And um, he, his name was Mr. Meek. He was retired. He was so sweet, and his wife also. They loved our cat. They almost took our cat away from us. She got so excited to go to their house. But what was really neat about him is that he um, would, excuse me, give me a moment here. He would not mow our lawn, but he would clean the snow off of our very large, well, he had a snowblower? Well, oh, well, okay. But he was the guy I thought of, too. Yeah, he was the guy, yeah. Anybody's going to remove snow. That's right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Those were the days. Yeah, those were great days. All right, Wanda. Can you stand? Oh. As a child, um, there was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Dunn, and he had a peach tree, and he would always give us peaches, and they were delicious. They were so juicy and sweet. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So, you know, we're blessed in life to have good neighbors. And, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to start uh, a, a new series about how we can be good neighbors. And we're going to take a look at uh, what the Bible has to say, what Jesus taught us about being the kind of neighbor that Jesus wants us to be. So next week, we're going to take a look at one of the most famous stories ever told, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, then the week after that, we're going to look at this question of how do you love the, the neighbors that are hard to love in your life, okay? That's going to be uh, a whole week. The week after that, um, how to be appropriately emotionally connected uh, to your neighbors so that you can meet some of their deeper needs. And then this week, we're going to just set the stage and sort of look at, at, at the big picture of what it looks like to be disciples and a congregation that seeks to be uh, a good neighbor. Now, before we read our text, let me just say briefly that I don't think I am capable of overstating how important this concept is when it comes to the mission of the church and the mission of the individual disciple uh, in the world today. 
In my view, being a good neighbor has probably never seemed more challenging and yet uh, more important. Let me talk about the challenge just for a moment. Our 21st century life in many parts of this country is not designed for the well-being of communities, and it doesn't lean us into being necessarily a good neighbor. When I was working on my dissertation, I spent time studying the impact of housing and, in particular, the impact of suburbanization on the life of the church in this country. I encourage you, if you want to, be the third person to read my dissertation you know, after my professor. Jody's still working her way through it years later. But, um, but there was a time in this country when most houses were built, right, uh, in cities, even small cities and large cities, but most houses were built. Um, with a very, fairly short front yard and then a sidewalk and a front porch. And more than likely in this home, there was only one car. And so the parent or parents who went to work often would take public transportation. And then this began to change as suburbanization came into the life of our country. And all of a sudden, cities started to decline. People moved out to the suburbs. Front yards got really, really big. Sidewalks went away. And guess what? the front porch gave way to the back deck. And instead of now, uh, someone maybe even riding the bus to the city with their neighbors and getting to know them and talking with them and so forth, or, or sitting on the front porch and, and waving at your neighbors as they walk by, now all of a sudden the average person can actually go to work, get in their personal car, drive home, pull into the driveway, hit the button, the garage door open, pull into the garage, hit the button, the garage door closes, you go in, get a nice tall glass of iced tea, you go out on the back deck, and you launch your phone so maybe you can make friends on social network. But that's suburbanization. That's what's happened in the life of our country and the way people interact with others just on a daily, daily life. Now, Kenneth T. Jackson, the author of a book called Crabgrass Frontier, wrote, Housing is an outward expression of the inner human nature. No society can be fully understood apart from the residences of its members. Of its members. If this is the case, the natural tendency, at least in this country, is a pull toward isolation. When actually God made us to pull toward living in community. I won't bore you with another necessarily list of books, but in one book, Old Town was actually featured as the classic walking city in the country. That Old Town was designed in a classic way where people could walk, get to know their neighbors, and so forth. And what this book said was that cities are no longer allowed by code to design their cities the way Old Town was designed. Just distance from the street, curb, so forth and so forth. It's interesting. So here's the catch. Some of us live in suburban type of neighborhoods in this congregation. Some of us live in city types of neighborhoods. We have diversity of housing situations. One of the things to put on the table is if you do live in a suburban type of neighborhood, you might have to work extra hard to get to know those in your community. And so take this as a challenge. So it's, it's challenging. And we've not even talked, which we will later in the series, about how divided we tend to be as a people now because of politics and different this and different that and social media and so forth. We'll get into that later in the series. Important. At the same time, over the last 50 years, we've seen a massive decline in church attendance in this country. 
We've seen a massive decline in, in the, the vital entity of the church in our communities that would bring people together uh, for the common good. Uh, I've shown this uh, idea before, but, but I, I heard this once at a, at a conference from people named Fresh Expressions. But it used to be that the church had this image of being the church in the valley, that in everyday life, Everyday life, people would just funnel into the church in yesteryear, whether it be through, through baptisms, education, marriage, funerals, and so forth. They would just funnel into the life of the church, and the mission of the church was simply get to get people into the front door. It doesn't necessarily mean everybody in the church was a Christian, but at least it meant everybody in the church hopefully had a chance to hear about the love of Jesus. But now our culture doesn't necessarily funnel people into the life of the church. You can call it what you want. You can call it the rise of youth sports. You can call it the rise of working, both parents working really, really hard, and then the weekends you're just just really tired. You can call it the rise of brunch. You know, I took two Sundays off in a row this past summer and did a staycation, and brunch is very popular, I learned, in our culture on Sunday morning. It's fascinating. And so now it's more like, rather than church in the valley, it's more like church on the side of the hill where people just, some people swing by the church and stay, but most people just keep moving on by. And so the key here is to be the presence of Christ, the people of God must go to where the people are. The natural first step is to consider what does it mean then to be on mission? What does it mean to live the Christian life in our neighborhood where we live, where we work, where we play. Some of us may work in the same neighborhood we live in. Some of us may have a, 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 a home neighborhood. Some of us may have a, a work type of neighborhood. But it's really challenging. And it's really important when you think about our faithfulness to our Lord. Well, the good news is when we function as the church and as disciples of Jesus, the way God intended, we do neighboring really, really well. The church was never intended, and disciples were never intended by God to be focused on buildings and contained to facilities. We were always meant to be a people out in the world and on the move. Yes, our Lord did some work teaching in the temple and the temple courts, but most of his teaching and most of his healing ministry, most of his interaction with people happened out in the streets and in the villages. We do neighboring really well. When we are faithful to our Lord, he designed us to be this way. So let me ask, invite you to turn to launch your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And we're going to take a look at how Jesus just gets, as, to set the big picture for the whole series, of how Jesus just really gets to the heart of the matter, okay? And what we see as we open up Mark here, and we open up this section of Mark, we find that, that Jesus is being questioned by the religious scholars of the day. That happened all the time. And in this particular section, he was first questioned about, you know, how, sh- how should we pay taxes? Okay, that's a pretty sticky subject. And then he was questioned about the marriage at the resurrection. Okay, that gets to a pretty sticky subject. And then a, a, a legal scholar, a scholar of the Jewish law, came to him and said, okay, of all these laws, which is the most important? He wanted to ask a question of priority. Of all the laws, religious laws, which one is the most important? Let's read it together. Here's how it went down. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher. I mean, can you imagine saying well said to Jesus now? Yeah, hey, good answer. Uh, anyway, well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. By the way, we usually miss that little section. We'll come back to that in a minute. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we see right here, Jesus connected love and neighbor. Bottom line, if we don't get this part right, if we don't get the love part right, we won't be in the neighbor or the neighborhood church that God wants us to be. Let me say that again. If we don't get this part right, we won't be the neighbor or the neighborhood church that God wants us to be. As we lay the foundation of this series, here's what I want us to do. I want us to get to the heart of the matter. I want us to see what love has to do with it. And I want us to look at the domino effect, the directional impact, and the demand. Okay? The domino effect, the directional impact, and the demand. The domino effect. Have you ever heard somebody ask, I almost ask it all the time, the list of priority. Who is the greatest football player? Who is the greatest rock band of the 70s? I'm kind of stuck there, and that's what I listen to. Um, well, this scholar comes to Jesus, and he says, which one is the greatest? There were actually 613 commandments. 248 were positive in rabbinic tradition. 365 were prohibitive. The Ten Commandments weren't just enough for these people, right? And so they want to say, okay, of all these, which are the greatest? He wants to know. Jesus said without hesitation, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love God with all of who you are. Now, let's look at heart, soul, mind, and strength for a minute. David Garland uh, wrote this description, beautiful. Heart, first of all, is our innermost being. The heart is more than a pumping station when we read about the heart in Scripture. This is where religious conviction takes root. It is where we decide for or against God. It is the command center of the body. It is where decisions are hatched and made. It is that place, when Scripture refers to heart, that controls feelings, emotions, desires, and passions. That's the heart, far more than a pumping center. Then the soul, the motivating power that brings strength of our will. Together with the heart, the soul determines conduct. When we are commanded to love God and with, with all our soul, it refers to the, the power of our lives. For example, St. Paul wrote in Philippians, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You hear Paul taking love and soul and it mixed together there, and he's putting a sense of will behind his values and behind his commitment. That's soul. You know, when we talk about hearing just great music that has great soul, we're talking about music where somebody has just put all of who they are into that piece of music. It has soul. So soul is that sense of will and power. Then there's the mind. You know, the mind is the intellect. It represents the, the faculty of perception and reflection that directs our opinions and judgment. We want to grow 
in the knowledge of God. As Garland writes, we don't want to stay in spiritual kindergarten, do we? You know, does anybody want to stay in? No, we want to grow. And then there's strength. The strength simply represents our physical capacities. Our physical capacities, our physical energy, the way we invest our time, our possessions, our health. And throughout this series, we'll look at how each one of those aspects of our life can help us love our neighbor. We are commanded by Jesus to love God fully and completely with all of who we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. One writer said, you can't love God partially. You can't tithe love. You know, the tithe is where you give a percentage of your financial resources to God as as an act of, of love and as an act of devotion. This beautiful way to put it, you can't tithe love. You can't say to God, I'll give you 10% today. I'll give you 20% tomorrow. No, it's all. It's all, 100% love, fully, completely who we are to God. Can't hold anything back. How in the world can we do this? How can we do this? The domino effect. I think you're probably wondering, where, where in the world these dominoes come in? We can love God fully and completely when we first realize how much God loves us. Our love for God is a response to God's love for us when we open our lives to the initiating, amazing, overwhelming, magnificent, never-ending, deep, wide, broad, expansive love of God. When we open our lives to the love of God, that is only when we can love God back. I encourage you to read 1 John chapter 4 sometime on your own time, but it is a flat-out declaration, celebration. We'll call it the Magna Carta of God's love. Listen to just a few of these verses. 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 10 through 11, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then 1 John 4, 19, we'll just call this the domino effect verse. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. He created us to love one another. I've said this before, but the older I get, the more I realize that growing closer to Jesus means opening our lives more and more to the incredible love of God and receiving it into the center of our being. And when we receive it and we live in it and we walk in it, it is then that we can love others and love God the way we're intended to. You know, some of us may think we're not worthy of this kind of extravagant love. Some of us may think that we've just done things that are too wrong or we're carrying around too much guilt, we're too bad to receive this kind of love from God. Some of us may be wounded emotionally so that we can never trust God's love. Some of these struggles keep us from receiving God's love fully and completely. If this is you, please know that God loves you beyond your wildest dreams. 
And God wants you to take the fullness of his love and he loves you before you ever turned and loved him. Before you ever did. In this series, you know, we're going to talk about loving those who are different than us. We're going to talk about loving those who are hostile to us. We're going to talk about putting others' needs before our own. And there's no way we can do this without first allowing the love of God to flood our hearts and to fill our lives. Okay, so everybody take the domino out. Okay? And so we recognize, you can put the picture of the domino back up there if you don't mind. So everybody, we all love to see dominoes fall, right? And I just, that first domino, somebody has to push that first domino over. That's God. That is God loving you first. I want to invite you to hold it in your hand, hold the other one out just like this. And I'm going to pray. Let's pray and I'm going to ask God to help us receive his love fully and completely. Let's pray together. God, help me to receive your amazing, initiating love in my life more and more each day. Thank you for loving me even when I don't love you. Forgive me for not trusting your unconditional love and help me each day to live in light of your love. Amen. Keep this as a reminder of the reality that God first loved you. Real quickly, we'll look at the directional impact. We return to the dialogue with Jesus and the religious scholar, and we notice that Jesus didn't stop with the commandment, the first commandment. The, the scholar only wanted, hey, what's the, best, what's the first one? Jesus told him the first one, but he said, okay, here's another one. He put the other one on the table. We need to be careful when we think about this numerically. Yes, loving God is first and foremost, but it's not like the second commandment to love your neighbor is optional. You know, can you ever imagine getting to heaven one day and saying, hey, God, I just focused on the first one, you know, the second one, I thought I'd just leave it out. No. No. Loving God leads us to love others. When we love God fully and completely, it naturally flows out of our life into the lives of others. So, for example, if we only love God and not our neighbor, then that's a great test, right? Then we're not loving God completely. So, for example, maybe you need to go back to the heart, soul, mind, and body and strength of the matter. Loving God with the heart means you'll forgive others. It means you'll love those who don't love you. Loving with your strength and physical capacity means you'll help those who are in need. Loving God with your mind means maybe you'll dig in and learn about other cultures and seek to understand others. Loving God with our soul means we will put strength and will to our values and our commitment. So notice something the legal scholar said. He said, you know, hey, Jesus, you're right. Love God, love neighbor. It's really more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Two ideas here. This reminds us that religious ritual without the heart connected is absolutely meaningless. And so the burnt offering and sacrifices were everything that happened in the temple. And so for us today, that would be everything that happens sort of in in the church, right? And so church attendance and church activity and all that without the heart connected is absolutely meaningless. The second thing, which is fascinating, is when Mark was written, the temple where all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices were made was either occupied by Roman soldiers or already in ruins. It would have been impossible for the Jewish people at the time to observe all the temple rituals and sacrifices. 
And so this served as an encouragement and a reminder. God is not limited to the temple. God is not limited to the building. Devotion to God is lived out in everyday life where we live, where we work, and we play, and it matters immensely to the heart of God. So, we're meant and we're built to be this kind of people that loves God with all of who we are and loves our neighbor as ourselves. Our love for God flows out to our neighbors in the world. So are you living a loving life, both vertically up toward God and out toward others? God and neighbor, the domino effect, the directional impact. And then there's this demand. There's always a a, a feisty demand here. The demand of this second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. This assumes a healthy ego and a healthy view of self. If you're filled with self-hatred, please know the call is not to hate your neighbor. We're going to flesh this out more in this series. That's what the rest of the series is all about is how to. But let me just summarize it here. When we are wondering how to love our neighbors and we ask the question, what should we do in a specific situation, we simply ask ourselves, how would we want to be treated? We want to be treated with respect and we respect our neighbors. We want to be treated with sympathy when we're grieving, we show sympathy. We want a second chance when we mess up, then we give second chances. You see how it works. As yourself is the how-to manual of loving neighbor. Early this year, the Washington Post ran a story about Hai Jun Si, an Asian American who lives in California. And one of the tragedies during COVID is that the hate crimes against Asian Americans went exponentially up. I'd like to just read, it's a very short article, I'd like to just read it because I don't want to miss any part of it, but I want you to hear this. Hai Jun's family was celebrating the Lunar New Year when the festivities were abruptly cut short. Several teenagers shouted racial slurs, hurled rocks at the house, and repeatedly pounded on the front door of their home in Orange County, California. Since they moved to the neighborhood five months earlier, the family had been targeted by a group of teenagers. They yell, punch the door and windows, and ring the bell day and night, Mr. C said. He has called the sheriff's department several times, and police have opened an investigation, but the harassment has persisted. He went on to say, they're scaring my kids at night. They're afraid to go in their rooms by themselves, so we have to move them to our room for almost five months now. C decided to reach out to a neighbor for support. He called Layla Parks, who lived down the street and had always been kind to his family. Parks said, I was outraged. I wanted to take action right away, but I knew I needed to do it carefully. Parks promptly came up with a plan to protect the C family. In a neighborhood Facebook group, she posted video footage of a recent attack, which C provided, and asked if anyone would be willing to stand guard outside the family's home at night. Her primary mission? For this family to have some peace again. The sign-up spreadsheet immediately flooded with names. Neighbors were horrified by the teenagers' actions, and people were eager to help. Parks said, it was more support than I had ever imagined or anticipated, and it is incredibly heartwarming. The community has really stepped up. The first evening watch was on February 13th, and since then, neighbors have stood guard outside C's home every night. So far, about 50 people have volunteered for at least one shift. Mr. C said, the neighbors keep watching, and I am very grateful. 
Now we have some peace. I love my neighbors. I love my community. And I love my country. As yourself. As yourself. Standing guard, bringing peace to a neighbor in need. Here's a question that each one of us should, should take home and, and just churn over this week. This incredible story of neighbors responding all started with Miss Parks being kind to Mr. C long before he was in need. Do you live in your neighborhood in such a way that you are seen as a safe harbor? Do you live in your neighborhood in such a way that when your neighbors are in need, they immediately think, I am going to call so-and-so? That's the heart of the matter, and that's exactly the people the Lord wants us to be. The people our neighbors will call when they are in need. Let me ask you to grab the communion kit in front of you. Moving out into the neighborhood, loving our neighbors the way God wants us to. Let's get honest and get real. Sometimes that calls sacrifice. Sometimes that calls for us to stretch outside of our comfort zone. But we're holding in our hands the representation of the body and the blood of Jesus who left a pretty good neighborhood in heaven. (laughs) He left the glory of heaven to come and to move in to planet Earth, our neighborhood. Why? Because he loved us. Because he loved us. As you receive this communion today, I just want to encourage you. I want to invite you. I'm going to pray for us before we take the elements. And I want to invite you to open your heart to the love of God and ask God to lead you to walk in light of His love. If you're uh, with us for the first time, these communion kits, there's two actual openings. There's the top opening, uh, which is the the wafer, the, the bread. And then there's the bottom, which has another opening. That's the juice. Let me pray for us and we'll receive communion. Dear God, we thank you so much for loving us, that even while we were still sinners, you loved us. Even when we didn't love you, you loved us. Lord, you loved us from the beginning of time, and you will continue to pour your love on us. Lord, help us to open up to your love more and more each day. Heal us so that we can love you fully. Challenge us so that we can love you fully and completely. Work in us as only you can, so that we can love our neighbors the way that you want us to. So as we receive this bread and as we receive this cup, 
Make us a grateful people. And let us live our lives in honor of you in the light of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus gathered with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he shared it. And he said, this is my body given for you. When you eat this, remember me. I invite you to eat. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood. It's shed for the forgiveness of the sins. It's the new covenant. When you drink this cup, remember me. I invite you to drink. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, indeed, um, I'm so looking forward to this series of how to be the neighbor uh, that God wants us to be. Next week, we'll take a look at the, the story of the Good Samaritan and how to be neighbors when our neighbors have a need. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. Pastor Brian's going to come, and he's going to share just real brief highlights, right, Pastor Brian? Um, but thorough, but brief. Yeah, good. That's, that's good. I invite you to stand, and he'll close us in prayer. And then I look forward to seeing you uh, outside and see you next week.